All right, everybody, welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. This is your host, Hunter McWaters, and today I'm joined by Casey Richmond. How you doing, man? Good, good. How are you doing? Good, dude. Um, it's good to see you again. I think we met briefly last year at the Seekins booth uh, at the Expo, but hadn't yep. um, really talked to you since then. And um, and so, yeah, how's your how's your season, man? I, oh, I already know, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> if you guys no, have been on social good. media, you saw probably yeah. that ridiculous bull he shot this year that we were just talking about. But yeah, um, yeah, man, how was it? Yeah, it was good. I mean, I guess um, after I saw you at the expo, bear season was long. I mean, here in Idaho, we get to hunt, you know, for what is it, three months, three and a half yeah. months. Okay, let's talk about that a little bit because I hunted yeah. bear this year in Idaho, and we had a really rough time. Really? Um, yeah, because I don't know if I if I hit the timing wrong or what, but like um, it seemed like anywhere we tried to get to, like just at the snow line, like we were getting um, like snowed out, like we couldn't get the vehicles up there, or we were like you know walking in like hip deep snow, um, yeah. and then like it felt like once you got below that, it was like too low and it was summer and like I don't know, we just we didn't have yeah. we saw one sow and cub the entire week I was out there. And we didn't know if they were, if they slept late this year with all the snow from last winter or what, what's your take on the, the bear season this year? Yeah, it was, it was kind of rough for us. Um, but I think each spot kind of has its time during the season and it's kind of, it can be kind of that spot's time for a month or it can only last a couple of days where it's really good. And sometimes it switches on and switches off. Um, we also run baits here that are kind of fun just because if, you know, even after work, we'll go, we'll go yeah. get our baits and, and bait after work, usually three, four times a week. So, um, nice. usually on the weekends, we try and go spot and stock. And then we try to do a, a, a you know, week long trip, um, either one or two of those during the season too. So, yeah, but this season was hard. I mean, when you get weather, um, it definitely like changes the behavior sometimes for the better, but usually not. Um, and that happened to us two years ago where, we were in a really good spot. We knew some guys that had just done really well the week before in that same spot. And we hiked, I think it was 16 miles in, um, and it was pretty brutal country. And we literally saw, yeah, a sow and two cubs over eight days. So, um, yeah. And we just and had the a spot we were in looked so good. I mean, it was like bright green, um, just looked like on paper, everything you look for in a killer bear spot, but they just yeah. weren't there. Yeah. I mean, they, there was just it depends like if it's early season two they could just be not out as much as or you know they could be nocturnal it's just hard because sometimes you don't know exactly what especially if you if you've hunted that spot year after year you know there's bears there sometimes it's just you know you're not yeah. in the right right time but so where where in idaho are you um i live just outside of boise okay cool yep and so we have a lot of good bear hunting pretty much anywhere north and east of here so yeah. it's easy to get up and i mean like i said we go bear hunting a lot right after work so that, yeah uh, you gotta love those long spring days i mean it's you you can hunt like shooting light at one point goes all the way till i think pretty much 11 wow <laughs> so, Dang, yeah man. that's you wild yeah, yeah and it's 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 nice like when you're out there because i feel like it's it's so like dependent on weather where like you know i'm trying to plan like a bear hunt like months in advance and it's kind of like kind of a crapshoot whereas you know if you live out there 
you can sort of like you know where to go when to go because you're right there you know <laughs> yeah exactly yeah you can see the green up i mean from our office you can see the whole front kind of of these mountains um and yeah as soon as it starts greening up and you get that bright fluorescent green color that you can mm. see from the office usually that means like a lot of our spots around here are going to be full of bears so yeah yeah man um so but you I, I was listening to you on another podcast set a little bit ago and um you mentioned you grew up surfing so yeah. you're not from idaho and i grew up on a beach town too and did a little surfing but the waves we had were only good in the fall and i was like i would just had rather been deer hunting than like putting on a wetsuit and going out in november but um yeah. tell me about like where'd you like where'd you grow up where you like, tell me about yourself a little bit yeah so i'm i grew up in san diego um, oh, okay yeah, I grew up fishing and surfing every day, and that's what I love doing. I mean, I worked on a fishing boat when I was young and worked at a surf shop after that. Um, and yeah, I was super, and I mean, that's kind of what everyone does down there. And yeah. I was great. I mean, I grew up right on the coast, so it was a lot easier to go surfing and fishing than it was to go out, you know, hunting. And I didn't yeah. really know <laughs> hunted growing up. Me and my friend that I fished a lot with, we we always said like, man, if we knew someone that could take us hunting, we'd probably get into it just because we were into fishing. We got into spearfishing a lot too, like mm -hmm. later in high school. And um, and the funny thing is now both of us live here and we both hunt, so we both <laughs> did eventually get into hunting. But uh, in college, I met my wife who is from Boise, and her dad has hunted his whole life and. Mm. Thankfully, he helped me get into it. You know, there's kind of a, a barrier to entry with all the gear. Not that you need sure. really that much gear, but he did help me, you know, get into it with the gear and uh, with a rifle. He even told me, like, you know, here's a rifle you can use on your first deer hunt. If you get one, the rifle's yours. And oh, that's cool. One. So, yeah, he gave me an old 30-30. And uh, so that was that was fun. And, um, and yeah, I guess it just, I got a job at Everly Stock a couple of years after getting into hunting. And since then it's just, you know, the addiction's kind of gone. Uh, so gone the off. addiction started after you got into the industry or is it like you were like all in, you're like, oh, I want to, this is what I want to do kind of like with my career in life. I knew I was into it, but I didn't know how into it or I didn't know, I guess <laughs> that you could hunt, you know, like every day of the year. So I didn't know I would get as into it as I am. Yeah. Um, but, Okay, so how old were you when you went, I guess, on your, your first hunt was a deer hunt, right? Mule deer hunt or whitetail? It was mule deer. I haven't, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I haven't actually, I went on a coos deer hunt, and that's the closest to a whitetail hunt I've been on yet so far. But okay, um, yeah, it was a mule deer. It was just a, a depredation tag in uh, in Utah for doe. So okay, that was college. I was probably 24. Okay, cool. On that first hunt, yeah. And so... um Tell me about, uh, tell me about Eberly Stock and how you got, uh, involved in there and kind of what you're doing. Yeah. So I had a, um, brother-in-law that worked here actually, and I was doing sales for a packaging company and then owned a clothing company on the side. So I was pretty busy, but really kind of looking for change. Just, I was kind of getting burnt out of both jobs and, uh, the two buddies that I own the clothing company were kind of in the same boat, they were looking to sell. So we actually sold the clothing company that I owned. And then I heard about Everly Stock needing someone that could do um, help with marketing, help with the photography, the videography and social media. So um, I came up to Boise and interviewed with Glenn and um, he, it wasn't quite the right timing, but six months later I came back up for like a second interview and it was kind of better timing. He was like, okay, I think we're ready to 
to hire someone for this spot and uh, offered me a job and we made the move. So I had a, a little two-year-old son at the, no, he was one-year-old, I think. So yeah, me and my wife and our one-year-old son made the move from San Diego up to Boise. Okay. And, uh, and that was almost six years ago now. So you're one of the Californians that have come into Idaho. Yeah. Like many, <laughs> many, I mean, it's, I don't know if it's good or bad to say, but yeah, a lot of the, even employees here at Everly Stock originally grew up in California. And Interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's, we have a lot of native Idahoans here too, but a lot of, uh, I mean, that's just how it is in Idaho. There's, you're going to find a lot of people that have moved here from other places. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, so were you like into media and photography and stuff like that already or? Yeah. So for that clothing company that I owned, I did all the photography for that company. Um, and we were a pretty like social media heavy company. So I'm like, yeah. I was out doing shoots a couple times a week after my day job. Um, and then like originally my first photography job was probably, it was probably almost 15 years ago. Now I did a, I was doing a full-time portrait photography job where I would take couples out on kayaks down into La Jolla Cove. And it was kind of like a kayak tour to these sea caves where I'd be taking portrait shots with like a That's underwater cool. housing. So I'd be getting in the water and oh, nice. it's cool. I mean, it was, it was long days. I would usually do four, um, three hour shoots a day. So it was like 12 hour days in the water wow. paddling a kayak. I mean, it was pretty, pretty nuts, but uh, that was for a whole summer, a lot of good experience. And uh, from there, I kind of eventually got my own camera and started doing it on the side and got into film photography. I mean, I like shooting film a lot too. Um, my grandpa actually, so my grandpa was a, a refugee from Cuba. He oh, came really? over. Interesting. Yeah. In, yeah. In his twenties, he was actually into photography um, when he was growing up and when he, you know, li eventually lived here. So, so I have a couple of his old film cameras, which is kind of cool too. So okay, uh, runs in the family or something, but uh, yeah, me and and then my youngest brother, actually, he, he does a lot of photography for his job too. So was your granddad Cuban or like he yeah, moved, yeah. they moved there and then were refugees from there? No, no. Yeah. He grew up in Cuba and Cienfuegos, Cuba. And then, um, yeah, a lot of his family is still over there. He came over on a little raft when he was like 22 Whoa. and then, yeah, landed in Florida and then went out to California to call, uh, where he went to college and that's where he met my grandma and that's where my mom was raised. And, uh, and your mom's just like, or your grandma's just like American. Yeah. And my mom looked, I mean, she has blonde <laughs> hair, green eyes, even though she's cute, you know, half Cuban. So, yeah. That's but, uh, do you guys still have any like Cuban stuff in your like family traditions or anything that you hold on to or not really? I mean, no, I, I really like shellfish and stuff. Are you I good at salsa dancing? No, <laughs> <laughs> my wife always wants me to go, but no, I haven't, I haven't really gone salsa dancing. Um, but yeah, no, no, we, uh, I remember eating shrimp a lot with my grandpa. That was like one of the <laughs> memories. I think he passed away when I was like 12. So, oh, okay. all right. Yeah. I think I was probably only eight, but I definitely have some memories with him and, and then, yeah, we, um, when my grandma passed away, we were going through their house and stuff and he had a lot of cool stuff from Cuba and cameras and all that kind of stuff. That was yeah. pretty cool. And then actually an old, an old, uh, car. I actually drove that in high school. Oh, nice. Falcon. So, yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting how, how diverse, like the country, can, I mean, just like, you know, one or two generations ago, your family's Cuban and then now you're like. A backcountry hunter in Idaho. It's like it I just know. seems like, like so different, you know. 
Yeah, I know. Like, I, you know, <laughs> own, I don't know how many guns, but a lot of guns. And yeah, he couldn't, he didn't own anything really. He came over yeah. with a backpack and a raft. So yeah, like my wife's Iranian American and they were refugees. And just like, if you told her when she was like 13, like wearing a hijab and, you know, islamic yeah. school in iran that she'd be married to some like redneck white dude american she'd be like what you know <laughs> like there's no way there's no yeah. possible way that's gonna happen <laughs> yeah i know it is wild um but yeah i'm definitely grateful for it i mean he sacrificed a lot to come over and and his sisters even were assassinated by the government oh my there's gosh him after him in um in havana and uh and so yeah i mean it's it's crazy how real the the oppression is for for his family and my family that's still over there really um oh you still have family over there huh yeah yeah my my mom and my parents and my youngest brother went there a few years ago and actually visited them but oh wow yeah we named our youngest daughter havana um oh that's cool yeah it's kind of cool very unique name yeah and it's you know she's i guess uh she's an eighth cuban (laughs) even though she's (laughs) got white blonde hair but yeah <laughs> how many kids you got just two yeah okay. six-year-old son and a two-year-old daughter okay cool man yeah um well back to eberly stock real quick um yep. they it's like a i didn't know this but um pretty interesting like company histories so i correct me if i'm wrong like it was created he was an olympic rifle shooter and then developed a rifle stock and that's where the name comes from yeah so yeah he was he did the biathlon which is where you ski and then okay so that you i think there's a couple different positions you there's a couple standing shots and then you do proned out shots and then you throw the rifle on your back and ski so it's like mixed with rifle shooting um glenn developed a stock for the olympics that was lighter than anything in fact i i'm in his office right now there's one right in front of me. I'll grab it and show yeah, yeah. you. Yeah. So he developed. Oh, cool. It's not really focusing on it, but um, this rifle stock was. So that is an called. actual Eberly stock. I'm pretty sure this is the one he used in the Olympics. I was just looking through some old pictures, and this looks just like it. If it's not the exact one, and it's the exact style. Nice. So. You see these three. So he kind of cut a lot of wood out that you used to have traditionally in the stocks, lightened mm-hmm. it up a lot. And he lightened it up so much that they they created a new regulation in the sport. And his rifle was the base weight. You, so you can't go under the weight that his rifle was oh, at the time. And it, that's still the case now. So like these three rings, that was kind of his signature. One of the things he did to lighten up the rifle. And... um that's actually, if you look at our logo now, it's a three rings oh. really stock. So that's kind of after the three gotcha. rings stock. And then obviously it's the company name Everly Stock. It used to be the Everly Stock Company because he, he started off by making rifle stocks. Yeah. Okay. Do they still use some of those in like the Olympics and stuff? Yeah. I mean, I think they use some different materials and stuff, but there's a lot of design features that he kind of created while he was at Dartmouth actually. Um mm. And on the you know the USA team that they still use on the uh, US biathlon team today. Okay, and then and I guess it's some sport wide too, not just for the the USA team. He kind of innovated stuff that all countries use now. Gotcha. And yeah. then when I guess that when did that kind of morph into the what Everly Stock is now and kind of into hunting and all that? 
Yeah. So in 2001, obviously we had the, uh, the nine 11 attack and, and Glenn was already kind of making some backpacks for, for himself to go hunting. He, you know, we have in our store here, we have some of his earliest designs, but it's basically a scabbard strapped onto a, a frame pack. And he would haul around his rifle like that and go elk hunting here in the woods. Um, after 2001, after nine 11, he kind of thought maybe there's a, a military application as well. So he started off by, um, making hunting packs because he was already kind of pretty far along in that design, but then he had, um, a lot of guys from the different groups, like the, the green berets, uh, I think it was the seventh group that came to him first that said like, you know, we, we, uh, we want to start making something like, or we want you to start making like something like this. that can fit our rifles, you mm -hmm. know, with the platform. So Glenn made some adjustments and came out with the gunslinger pack and the military side kind of went on from there. And then the hunting side kind of just kept developing as well. Gotcha. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, so so that what's was right after 2001 is when he started kind of the whole backpack side of it. And that's when he, he turned it from the Everly stock company just to Everly stock. Okay. And yeah. so your, your job is marketing and content. You said, correct. Yeah. Yeah. I do a lot of different things here just cause I've been here. I think now the second longest of, of anyone here. So nice. A bunch of random stuff I do, but yeah, I, uh, I handle a lot of the content. I handle kind of setting up a lot of the photo shoots and, and then, uh, yeah, I kind of manage some of the social media stuff as well. Cool, man. Like random stuff I do. Um, yeah. Oh, do you guys have any like cool new stuff you're working on or anything coming out this year that you're excited about? Yeah. Um, so like I said, we're heading to sheep tomorrow and then straight to shot show after that we have uh, a big line of packs coming out in our military side of of our line mm -hmm. um and yeah i mean i it's not gonna be a secret in like next week but it's it's basically a modular system that this won't release till after the shows if that oh, helps perfect. okay so yeah it'll be our mission emod system okay <laughs> um and it's basically modeled after our hunting modular pack system, but it's going to be um, all like mil on the military side. So we'll have a, okay. a med bag, a an assault bag, and then some different accessories that you can either add or you know take off of the pack depending on what what kind of mission or what kind of um, of uh, job you're kind of running. So the, okay. that'll be huge for us. We've been getting requests for that type of bag for a long time. And, and our pack designer, Nate has been working with a lot of guys like tier one guys in uh, the design of this pack system for the past year and a half or so. So we've really kind of honed it in on, on what guys are going to need. And we're really excited because that's going to do well. Um, and then on the hunting side, we have a couple just improvements to some already existing packs. And then we have, uh, we're definitely, there's a lot of new stuff in the works. That's just not, gonna probably be ready to it's not gonna be released next week but it'll be yeah. sometime this year so are you guys um still operating off of your external frame um are you looking to change that or are your new packs going to be based off that system it'll be based off that similar system we'll, we'll have eventually another frame that will still accept the the packs and accessories that work with that modular system. It'll just be a different frame design um, just for people who prefer a different style frame. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, we we really like our modular system, just how simple and easy it is to use and how quickly you can change out your pack or quickly you can take the pack off to to put meat onto the frame. Yeah. So we're going to go away from that, but it'll just, we'll add more uh, accessories, more packs, and then a, a frame, another frame option or two for that. Yeah. Well, I know I've never tried one of y'all's packs, but I know Brad um, Hunt loves, loves his Everly stock pack. He worked yeah. for you guys for a long time, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He worked for us for a while. He uh, he was working with me a lot because he was doing a lot of our video at the oh, time. Okay. He was working on. He was filming and then editing most of our video. Nice man. Um, yeah, Brad's awesome. Yeah, he's a good hunter, man. Hard yeah. worker, very hard yeah. working dude. Yeah, he knows the stuff too. I mean, out out you know hunting elk with Brad is just fun because you you learn a lot. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, I've been on a couple hunts with him. I've never been on an elk hunt with him though. But um, I mean, he knows. Yeah, not just elk hunting. He knows a lot about hunting. Right, right. But I would like to go on an elk hunt with him because yeah, I know he's a great elk hunter. Obviously, so. he's a great caller too. I mean, he's yeah, he's won a bunch of you know competitions and everything. And he's uh, but he just knows how elk operate, how elk work. He's he's fun to watch. And he he's knows. super handy. He can like fix stuff. So he's like the good guy oh, yeah. to have around if something breaks. <laughs> oh yeah, no, yeah, we used to call him old Brad because he, you know, he grew up in Cary, Idaho, a small yeah. town in Idaho, and his dad ranched. And he, you know, I mean, he's he's yeah, definitely good with his hands. He knows how to just do stuff. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he's a great guy to have around. Great guy to be on a hunt with. He's fun For to sure, be. man. Yeah. Um. Okay. So. You grew up in California. You're kind of an adult onset hunter, which I actually didn't know that. I don't think. Um, and now you're, you know, killing huge eight by eight uh, bulls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, but cool. I'm kind of joking. Yeah. But no, but seriously, like, um, I am interested, you know, because I'm kind of, uh, I killed my first bull this year um, and just learned a ton about hunting elk on this hunt I was on. Um so I'm, I I just like to hear a little bit about your like journey as a a new hunter, because hunting deer, you know I grew up hunting whitetail and obviously mule deer hunting out west is very different from whitetail hunting out east. But at the same time, like they're deer, they're pretty similar. Like you know if you're coming from a whitetail background, you're gonna have um, a little bit of knowledge about the animal. But you're coming to elk. I mean, it's a completely different animal. They behave differently. They everything about them is just more different than I was expecting. I honestly going into that hunt. So I'd love to hear just a little bit about your kind of journey. What were some of the biggest like aha moments? I guess uh, you know when you started elk hunting. How when all that started to come together for you? Yeah, um, I think so. Shortly after I killed that deer with that first rifle that I was talking about, my father-in-law was like, okay, I think he's, you know, my future son-in-law, I can't remember if I had married my wife at the time or if we were engaged or whatever, but he's like, you know, Casey's pretty serious about hunting serious enough where I'll go take him on a hunt. So he, uh, he, for Christmas that year was like, Hey, my Christmas present to you this year is I'm going to take you on an elk hunt this fall. And, uh, it's gonna be an archery elk hunt. So he gave me his old bow which is another great, you know, like it's just that kind of stuff would be hard to get into if I didn't have that resource. Oh, for sure. He gave me his old Matthews and told me, you know, I want you to train up for September. Which um, bow was it? Do you remember? It was the Creed. Okay. Matthews Creed, a solo cam. It was a good bow. I mean, I, yeah, I killed, uh, I ended up killing a spike with it a couple years later, but he, uh, yeah, he 
basically told me to train up for the hunt and I shot every single day from when I got home back to San Diego till that elk hunt. So I shot, you know, for what, eight, nine months straight. Um, nice. and was just kind of a student of, you know, archery elk hunting as much as I could be from San Diego, went to 3d shoots down in San Diego and tried to, you know, and I was shooting well, like for, for just having started that year, I felt really pretty confident came up here that year and we had like, it was that snowmageddon year that they talk about. It was crazy <laughs> though. In September we had like two and a half feet of snow. Um, and we had been dropped off with horses like 10 miles way up in there. Mm. So we couldn't really move camp and we were stuck in like two and a half feet of snow and a bunch of the elk dropped like well below oh. us elevation wise. And so successfully, you know, it wasn't a successful hunt, um, but I was still, I don't know. I was still into it and I was still even probably more fired up after that to, to try and get an elk. So I ended up moving to Idaho the year after that and didn't hunt elk that year, but, and then struggled for a couple of years with my bow, just archery elk hunting by myself and, um, had some close encounters, but finally made it happen a couple of years after that and got a spike. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think after that, I was just hooked to like elk hunting mm-hmm. you know, during September after that it was just, it's like, okay, I'm going to be doing this every year. <laughs> you know, it was, <laughs> it was just so much fun. And, uh, and yeah, I, I've managed to get two now two bulls with my bow. And then, yeah, this year I got my first bull with a rifle. So, um, oh, so that, that big boy was your first rifle bull. Rifle elk. Yeah. Yeah. I'd never hunted rifle elk until this year. So it was fun. It's a little different. I mean, I definitely, want to do both i think every year i think you know archery elk hunting and during the ruts just you can't compare to that it's it's fun but uh yeah, yeah hunting with a rifle is nice too if you see something big that's you know far away you can still you know get a yeah. poke at it yeah um, it's definitely more of a glassing heavy type hunt i guess yeah yeah usually some heart rougher weather and you know sometimes they're in some rougher stuff they're not they don't just come to you in the open or something <laughs> yeah. but uh yeah it's they're they both have their challenges but they're both uh definitely rewarding but yeah i mean i think getting into elk hunting was just i thought i was kind of prepared and you know you think you can learn a bunch from watching videos and stuff but i think once i moved here and i actually was out in the elk woods a lot every september and i spent a lot of time out in elk country trying to call bulls and everything that's when i finally started making mistakes and started blowing stocks and started, you know, doing the things that you kind of got to get through to you do to learn. And not that I know, like, I feel like I know nothing a lot of times when I'm out there and like, you know, you out with a guy like Brad, I'm like, geez, like, I feel like I just started hunting now. Yeah. You know, like watching him, but it's definitely just spending time in the mountains. I think that experience is, is what gets you better and, and helps you make the better decisions when, when it comes down to it, like in the moment just because yeah. you've already been there before. So it's so true. Like I, um, you know, you obviously you can learn a lot, like you said, from podcasts and videos and all that stuff. But, um, one of the things that like impresses me a lot by guys who know or grew up elk hunting or grew up even just hunting in the mountains, really like, so my, um, my buddy Kobe Owens filmed my elk hunt for me. And like, I was super lucky cause he's a really good elk hunter and he helped me mm-hmm. out a lot actually. Um, but like the thing is, and you can probably relate to this, like coming from a beach town, like probably one of the hardest things for me that just like comes second nature to these guys that grew up doing it is like, like mentally understanding topography and like how the animals move through it. 
and mm. like recognizing landmarks and stuff like that. Like to me, it's just like, oh, hills, mountains everywhere. It's hard. People, and then like I hunt with somebody who's like really used to it and they can like, be like, oh, that's that ridge that we were hunting on the backside of two days ago. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, and then like, and also just like knowing how to move, like hear a bugle, kind of being able to judge roughly how far and where it is and where they're probably going to be moving and like getting into the right positioning for that. Uh, I found myself a lot of times looking like an idiot, like I'm watching the footage back because I just I'm looking back at Kobe, like what, like what am I supposed to do right here? I have no idea. Um, yeah. And so I'm glad he was there, but um, that that to me is like something where I'm truly really amazed by those guys who grew up doing it. You know? Yeah, no, I I think one thing that I I don't know, I think it's kind of lucky is like I've always really conscious of like where I'm at. Like I'm always looking at maps and. Uh, like, I don't think I've taken a hike for over the last 10 years where I haven't like tracked it on Onyx. Yeah. Um, so like, I always have a good idea of where I'm at, but that's, that's the thing is like the time in the mountains. Like when I'm with one of my buddies that have, that's elk hunted for years and years and years, like, or that's just hunted, not just elk hunted, but hunted for years and years. Like, yeah, the way that, um, yeah, it's like second nature for them to know how to play certain situations. I'm just like, dang, like it's, <laughs> it's it's fun when you're like, okay, that's what I think I would have done or, but it's frustrating when you're like, geez, like that was the right play. I think I would have gone total off. Yeah. And then, so yeah, it's, um, that definitely takes time. And I think I, every year you get a little better at it, but it, there's definitely times when you're just, you feel like you, it's your first day out in the mountains. Yeah. And you gotta just like, like you said, you just gotta get out there and do it and blow up stocks. Yeah. And cause it, you know, like I, said, I, I feel like I know nothing too, like even less than you, but, um, not saying you don't know anything, but like, I feel like I know nothing. Um, and, but, I, but it's still like, I learned so much even because, so the elk hunt, my first elk hunt, I was like, I'm going to kill my first elk this year. That was my goal. And I somehow drew like a high demand, like really good New Mexico elk tag. Um, yeah. And so it was weird because there's like a lot of pressure to like kill an elk, but also it was a really good kind of first tag to have because I got, there was tons of elk and I got lots of practice. And so, um, you know, like my first stock of the week was terrible. And I was like, you know, I was like staring at my feet the whole time. I wasn't scanning, make, you know, going fast when I should be going slow. And, um, and yeah. as the you know, week progressed, I got better and better to like the point where like I I got like within fifty yards of one, and like would have killed it except for like the wind switched at the last minute like out of my control. Um, so but yeah, you just you have to get out there and get reps, and um, there's just no way to replace that. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think one thing that helped me too is I, I had had some like tough hunts after that first deer hunt like that, you know, I was talking about that elk hunt where we had tons of snow. There were a couple hunts in a row where it was just, I was struggling. And, and so it was like, once I moved here and I was out in the woods, you know, like every day after work and stuff, I'd just be out hiking and trying to learn stuff. Um, I was like, okay, now on my future hunts, like, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna worry about like size of animal and really even maturity. Like, I just want to get some experience and like get some animals down mm -hmm. and not pass on a lot and uh just get more experience harvesting animals and so yeah. 
there was like two years there where I didn't really eat a lot of tags just because I wasn't picky and it was fun. Like I got to learn a lot just by killing animals and uh, yeah. And then it's like, the and second- there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I feel like some people feel yeah. pressure. You got, oh, I got to kill a huge, you know, like, yeah, I'm totally happy with not killing huge animals. <laughs> like at this yeah. point in my career, like, yes, it's awesome. We can kill a nice big mature animal and certain species got to be a little more sensitive, like mule deer maybe, but um, there's nothing wrong with like embracing where you are in your like hunting progression. And mm-hmm. so now I filled a couple tags on like good animals, but yeah, maybe I'm a little more selective, you know, this year, but um, it's okay to, like you said, get, get some reps, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. There's certain animals like for me, bear, like, I mean, I've killed a handful of bear now. It's like, I, I don't want to just kill the first bear I see now. And like this last year I passed on a lot of bears that, I probably would have shot the first few bear hunt or first years of bear hunting, but now mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I'm going to try and wait for something bigger. And uh, I'm kind of that way. I think now with deer, like I'm going to try and be a little more selective the next couple of years. And unless I'm just, you know, out of meat or something, but, um, <laughs> and then for elk too, like, uh, I don't know. Elk is a little different for me just cause like my I mean, we eat elk meat a lot at home. Um, not every night, but I mean, we eat it multiple times a week. And so if I don't have a lot of elk meat in the freezer at the end of the hunting season, it's kind of like, well, dang it. You know, that's, we're definitely have to buy meat this year that yeah. I would have, you know, just had if I would have shot that spike instead of passed on it or something. So right. that's probably the species that I'm going to be a little less selective for a long time, unless, you know, I have multiple tags or something. But Yeah. Is there a pretty good opportunity for like cow tags and stuff out there? Yeah, there's a lot of late season kind of just um, t- cow tags that are, you know, technically you got to draw them, but they're pretty good odds. And and uh, there's a lot of different hunts that you can put in for Yeah, here in Idaho for the for cows and stuff. Yeah, it's, there, it's so satisfying. Like, I know it gets talked about a lot, but it is really satisfying. Like when you're feeding your family, you know, 90%, I mean, 90% of the meat we eat, unless it's like chicken or fish, it's we pretty much eat only wild game. Like sometimes we'll buy burgers, but pretty much yeah. all the red meat we eat is, is game. Um, and I was super blessed this year. Like yesterday I was thinking like I ate caribou for lunch and no, I had elk for lunch and caribou for dinner. Awesome. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, sometimes I'm packing lunch for my kids. I'm like, I wonder how many other kids are taking uh caribou in their lunchbox today <laughs> in yeah, America. Not I many like kids get a kick out of it. Cause even if we're just eating like a, I don't even know, like ham sandwich, I'll be like, oh, do you guys like your pig meat or something? <laughs> like yeah. my daughter just loves like, yeah, this is, you know, this is deer meat. This is elk meat. Yeah, you know, my kids are the same, like, man. Pointing it, pointing I was on a field elk. trip with my kid one time uh, this last year with my son. And we like it was lunchtime and the kids were talking about what they're eating. And my son's like, I'm eating caribou meat. And I started talking about hunting. And this one little girl's like, you're a murderer. <laughs> and I was like, do you eat meat? And she was like, yes. And I was like, well, so are you, honey. Yeah. <laughs> <You're a murderer> <laughs> <too>. <laughs> oh, man. But um, that's cool, man. Well, yeah. um, I know you had a killer season. And um, folks, you guys, re- uh, Limitless actually re- released the film recently of your big bull this year but um i'd love to hear the story maybe entice some folks to go check out the hunt oh yeah yeah i mean i feel like no matter how much or how i describe it or how it shows in the video it's hard it's just hard to describe obviously like 
how gnarly some of it was, but uh, I think, yeah. So, I mean, Limitless Outdoors, they have a YouTube channel. They're, they're, it's basically two brothers, Colton. And I've Justin. had Justin on the show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Justin and his younger brother, Colton, two of the coolest guys I've ever met. Um, they grew up here in Bonners Ferry, North Idaho. Um, and they've both guided a little bit here and there, but they both have as much experience as anyone I've ever been in the mountains with. Um, yeah. And Justin's a pilot. So we flew in to a very, very remote part of Idaho. Um, and parked the plane right there on the side of the river and uh, ended up floating down this river in these cheap little uh, rafts they got off Amazon. <laughs> and we floated, I think it was eight miles or so from that strip to a spot where we, we put out or we got out of the river. Um, and our plan was to hike up like there were four of us. So uh, this guy, Joshua, and then Colton, Justin and I. And Colton and I were going to hunt together. And then Justin and Joshua were going to hunt. We were going to hike up about 3000 feet from the river. And, uh, everyone, like all three of those guys had mule deer tags. And then I had, I was the only one with an elk tag. And, um, was there a trail or you guys bushwhacking the whole way up? Um, from the river, there wasn't trails. I mean, on, if you got, once you got up onto like a, a ridge, there was kind of like game trails and stuff, but there was a trail along the river. Yeah. Like that kind of was, you know, 20 feet above the actual water. That was like a horse trail. But, um, so we started hiking up and Justin, like almost right away spotted a huge herd of elk, like a few ridges over. So like a mile and a half down river and about 2,500 feet up. Um, and so we, they got a good look at him and they're like, Hey, looks good. There's definitely a bull up there. And I was filling up water at the time. So I get up there and like, you should drop your stuff and go. So I just like dropped everything, grabbed my rifle. Wait, real quick question. Did you yeah. fill up water and drag it all 3,000 feet up? No, I actually didn't bring any water. <laughs> I didn't bring <laughs> – I ditched my pack, which I usually – I mean, I've really screwed myself over by doing that a bunch of times. And I was like, oh, no, what have I done the whole time as we were going after this elk? Because I'm like, I just okay. – So you shot him on the first day? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Like, I haven't seen the whole film yet. I only yeah. – I skipped ahead to the part where you shoot him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it was the first day, um, and so me and Colton went after the bull. But was Justin. that your plan, though? Like, if you guys were camping, were you going to take water the whole way up? Yeah, I mean, there's no water up there. <laughs> I mean, it ended up snowing, so, I mean, I guess we could have melted that. We didn't know if it was going to snow yeah. or not. So, I mean, anyway. I wouldn't have taken a ton, but, yeah, because it was, it was cold and everything. I wouldn't have gone through, like, a ton of water. But, um, yeah. yeah, I brought – just my rifle and one trekking bull. And we headed up, we had to hike about a mile down river along that horse trail mm-hmm. and we took a ridge to just head up. And so it was kind of across a big, you know, draw from where the elk were kind of just bedded and feeding around and stuff. And we got up there, um, took a while to kind of relocate which where the actual bull was. There was only one bull and then there was like 20 cows. So we got into position. We, we couldn't get any closer than, what was it 680 yards and uh it was rainy and foggy and and like the only other option was going to be drop down to this draw which they could have definitely seen us as we were dropping down and yeah. then pop up at like less than 100 yards which i think would have been pretty sketchy so yeah um i told J- colton that if i could get a good rest i think i was good at 680 so um took a while it was really kind of a steep muddy 
you know, slushy kind of hill and uh, finally got a good rest. And yeah, I put one shot. He was bedded too, um, which at first was a little scary just because the way he was laying was a little weird. But I knew that if I was steady enough, I mean, I would put a shot where it needed to go. So I shot once. It kind of nicked his hip bone that was kind of sticking up over his vitals a little. Hmm. But it still kind of hit the back hip bone and into his vitals. But he stood up and was kind of wobbling around. So I shot him again um, and he went down. And uh, it was crazy because I was actually using a suppressor and it was so like foggy and steamy, kind of like that really, you know, just really wet outside. Um, when after my first shot, the suppressor was steaming so much. I, I was looking through the scope and I couldn't see anything because it was just like white, <laughs> like fog. So I had to like blow the the steam off of the uh, the can to get another shot off. But And you're shooting, I think I saw, I see your Seekins hat, it looked like a Havoc element. Yeah, yeah, it was the element. It was the seven PRC. Nice. Do you like seven PRC? Yeah, I love it now. I mean, that was my <laughs> first hunt with it. So, <laughs> nice. Yeah, it was, uh, went pretty well. That thing was awesome, and I just really like zeroed and shot the gun with that scope for the first time the week before. So I was a little nervous. Wow. Shot taking a couple shots, like longer shots with it, just a couple days before, and mm. I mean, everything obviously tightened down to spec and everything was good. But I mean. With all that weather and going in a raft and banging against rocks and stuff, oh, yeah. you're always a little worried. So, is that the longest shot you've made on animals at this point? Um, I made another one in Alaska on a blacktail, at like seven. I think it was seven hundred. Nice. And it was a much smaller shot. target too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was a great shot. I mean, that that thing went like backflipping off the hill when i shot him so dude they they do that those sitka blacktail do that they do like weird stuff when you shoot them yeah this thing like <laughs> launched like and i luckily i was by myself so luckily i set up a spotter um with my phone recording the shot and i was the deer was kind of feeding up and i that was i'm, I'm glad i filmed it because it was almost dark i shot and i didn't even know like i was like i, I heard a hit i don't know how if I hit hit it well or not, and then I looked back at my phone at the video, and I was like, "Oh, perfect! I got it in the in the frame." And then um, you could see in the video that I just nailed him, and he like backflipped off the hill. So nice. Luckily, I had Colton filming this one with the elk, and uh, I mean, it was pretty easy, pretty easy to tell that I nailed him pretty good. Yeah, shots, but yeah, he went right down. And the cool thing with using a suppressor when you're hunting too is those cows stayed they stuck around for hours after I shot, so they had no idea where the shot came from or what happened. They just saw the you know, their big herd bull fall down and wow. I, um, so we had to go all the way back down and grab our packs. And then we left most, most of our camp stuff and had to hike. So we had to hike back up river a mile and then hike down about a mile and a half and then hike up 2,500 feet, um, to where that bull was. And we got to him right before dark and, um, it was the biggest body bull I've ever seen. And, and Colton has, you know, he's guided elk for years and years. And he said, it's the biggest bull, like bodied bull he's ever seen too. Jeez. But we were calling him the horse bull. Cause he was just massive. It took, <laughs> it took so like, it was so much work just to even try and move him a little bit to cut him and up, cut him up and stuff. And yeah. Um, most elk that I've, you know, the other elk I've killed before, I think I got like 200 and 210, 205 pounds of meat. Um, this one was like 325 or something. So oh my gosh, that is huge. Body. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we spent, it was five hours that night cutting them up and, you know, caping them. Yep. And, uh, we took the first trip down that night. And then the next day 
we had to go up and do two more trips. So it was four trips total. So it's just the two of you. Yeah. The Colt, uh, sorry, Justin and Joshua were hunting kind of right up from where we got off the rafts and they killed a deer the same day I killed my elk. And then, uh, Colton and Justin headed back up after we got the bull down and on the last morning, uh, Colton killed a really nice buck, like a five oh, nice, or something like a really nice four point buck. That's awesome. Sounds like an epic trip, dude. Yeah, it was awesome. We were super heavy coming out. I mean, just tons of meat and, uh, yeah. the craziest part of the whole hunt is honestly just the rafting out, I think, cause we were done. We had, uh, so Justin had to hike the eight miles that we had floated the first day back to his plane and he was okay. going to his plane and fly like, yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. And then, um, Joshua just hiked the horse trail down 10 miles to the next strip where, and then me and Colton each were in a raft with every, all the gear between the two rafts and we floated the 10 miles down, but that's where it was just sketchy because the water level dropped a bunch uh from the first day so there were rocks just everywhere and these rafts are not the best quality i mean they were a couple hundred bucks off amazon and are you experienced rafter no it was my first time ever (laughs) (laughs) oh the water was freezing that had to be scary man yeah it was pretty wild and then every time we got to like a set of rapids we were just like ping-ponging off the rocks and there were you know constantly we were just tearing holes in each raft so at first we were getting out and having to dump out the hundreds of pounds of meat and gear to flip them over to get the water out. And after a while, we just realized like, oh man, these are all torn apart. Like as soon as we put the rafts back in, they would just fill right back up. So we went down probably five or six miles of it with just water up to our knees. Oh my gosh. Like we were wearing waders. No, 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 just soaking wet, just soaked. And so we barely got to the, the strip right before dark me and Colton were like hypothermic. I mean, I couldn't feel my legs for hours. We were just, you know, shivering. Like we made it up to the strip and barely flew out of there before it was too dark to fly out and uh, left everything basically right on the rocks on the side of the river. And then the next day flew back in and got everything. So that night we were able to get a warm shower and we stayed at a hotel in a small (laughs) town, but um, yeah, it got pretty, pretty wild there on the way out. That is wild, man. Every time, I mean, we, every time we got to rapids too, we'd have to be like hopping out into the river, like trying to like drag the raft, like over the rocks and just getting soaked and stuff. It was, it was quite eventful. (laughs) Wow. That's gnarly. Well, that, I mean, that shows you right there why that, that bull was back there and like survived that long. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's no real, I don't know what else you could have done. I I mean, if you had some really big pack string of horses, you probably could get back to where we were, but I mean, that's a lot of work too. So, yeah. Dang um, man, know, that's, like that's a, yeah, epic. A 50, 50 mile trip each way with horses or something to get to where we were. So Jeez. I don't know if that's even doable. Really. No. <laughs> and it's so cool that I mean, not many people could do that logistically, like with the plane and the rafts and everything. But still, it's pretty cool that like there are places in the lower forty eight where you can like be that remote. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I mean, honestly, I owe that all to, to the limitless guys. I mean, Justin and Colton, they, they were the ones who planned that trip. They've done that trip before. Um, and I just feel lucky cause you know, that's, yeah, like you said, logistically, that's a pretty tough trip to plan. And I just don't know if I'd have the confidence. My, I mean, I don't have a plane obviously. So I, I mean, you charter a plane in there and do all that, but like even just doing that, it would be pretty gnarly. Not oh, yeah. 
having those guys there that have done it before so yeah for sure man um, yeah that's that is wild dude that sounds like a crazy trip i i did a, a really uh heavy float trip this year um it wasn't i don't think it was that sketchy though. it was a lot longer of a float but that seems sketchier what you did <laughs> yeah i mean it wasn't like a I mean, we didn't see any other rafters. That's all I can say. <laughs> it's not like uh, people aren't doing that. Um, and I know why now. So. <laughs> yeah. And in like cheap rafts and it's your first time rafting. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt pretty, pretty good about it by the end, but man, I can't tell you like the feeling of dread you'd have every time you'd come around a turn and you'd see like, you'd tell that it dropped off. There'd be some rapids and you're just like, like you just knew like, I'm going to get stuck. I'm going to get really wet. I'm going to get even colder. I'm going to have mm -hmm. to like hop the river to drag this raft across these rocks. And, and like, at one point, like even, you know, I got caught on rocks, there's water pouring into the raft. Like I lost both sets of antlers. Like I had Josh's, um, Joshua's uh, deer rack and my elk rack in the raft and tons of meat. At one point I lost the Cape and both racks in the water. And so I got out of the rapids and luckily they were kind of like washing, you know, like near and i was able to grab them all as i was like kind of passing them but it was sketchy like stuff like that happened <laughs> on our way out so yeah um why question why did you guys use those rafts <laughs> they'd used them a lot before i mean they'd taken them to alaska and done some pretty crazy caribou hunts with them okay where they packed in and then rafted out with caribou and or sorry it wasn't caribou it was moose hunts that they did it with yeah pretty gnarly country but they had never and they had wrote, wrote them over rocks and stuff the difference was like where we were it was just such shale sharp you know razor yeah. sharp rocks that we were kind of going through so every time we went over rocks and stuff it was cutting holes and and by the yeah. end i mean like, i don't think we have video just because all of our stuff was so wet like even my i don't know how my, my camera survived even though it was soaked but um all the gopros were dead but like both of my back air tank things and on my raft were fully popped and deflated so I, mean, I was like sitting back in the water um Jeez. and i don't know if like even in, like a high quality like an air or you know like a high quality raft could like make make it without having a similar outcome i mean yeah. it, it would be nice you wouldn't have to bail the water out at least at first but like i think it still would have ripped a bunch of holes in it just yeah with how sharp the rock was we did ours in alaska this year in some um alpaca raft rangers and uh -huh. they were self bailing. Yeah. And it was like, it was a 70 mile float out, but it probably wasn't as, I don't know. I don't think it was. And like, I was wearing waders. So if I had to jump out, I was just, I was dry. It was cold. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, um, but those, those things did really well. I don't know. I don't know if it would, if the application would be the same, but they did really well for us. That feature would be nice because, like, even that first day, there was a lot more water, so we weren't hitting so many rocks. But like, oh, we were soaked. Like my boots, the whole hunt were completely soaked through just because they got so wet on the raft in, and okay. all like, a lot of our gear was wet the whole time because so of you're kind of lucky it happened on the first day. <laughs> oh, that we killed the elk. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it definitely would have made it harder. We, I mean, we killed that. Colton killed that big deer the last day, but I mean, yeah, the hunt. Oh, so you stayed longer. You didn't leave right after you killed that elk. Oh, no, no. We were there for like a week. So we okay. were just, um, for I, or five more days, I think, after I killed my bull. Nice, then. So, yeah, just because we still had a bunch of deer tags. Cool. Well, that's freaking epic. So people 
uh, if you're listening, go to the Limitless Outdoors YouTube and watch the hunt. Like I said, I still haven't got a chance to watch the whole thing, but I did watch like the last kind of part of it, and it looks yeah. pretty cool. And some of the still photos you got are like probably some of the coolest photos like from the whole industry this season. I would say. <laughs> oh, um, thank. Yeah. There's some epic ones, but uh, so check those out. Um, you got any cool plans for this upcoming season yet, or still just waiting on draws? Or uh, well, I drew. What's a your deer strategy? Tag. I drew a deer tag this last year in Idaho, so I can't draw a deer tag this year. I'll put in for elk, but um, I think we're we're already planning like just archery elk hunting this year. Uh, listen over the counter spot here, kind of close, and then. Yeah, I mean, I want to do some wolf hunts here coming up in the next couple months. I'll be gone, I think, four out of the next five weeks just at shows and stuff. But as soon as I get back from that, I'll be doing a lot of trapping and then um, hopefully some wolf hunts. And then, uh, yeah, we'll just be doing our bear hunts. And, yeah, I don't know. It's I don't think there will be anything crazy. I'm going to keep building points in, like, Wyoming and some other states. I'm not going to burn points anywhere else, so just doing what states are you building points in um just actually just wyoming right now and new mexico new mexico is no points or no points okay arizona yeah i think are you applying for any any stuff like that like new do you apply for like new mexico and arizona those nevada and all those yeah i want i want this fall i think next year i might try and burn my wyoming deer or elk um and then i'll probably keep just putting it in for new mexico after yeah. that i think i'm gonna try and just stay in idaho this fall gotcha. and then yeah, no i might try and do like a blacktail hunt in alaska like late fall nice that was fun. did that a couple years ago yeah i uh like on kodiak or somewhere else yeah kodiak I yeah. yeah yeah i um i have like i have four points four elk points in wyoming this year and used to be you could like 100% draw the general elk tag yeah. that now it's like 36% with four points. Jeez. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty much point banking everywhere. I don't know. I, I still, I have like, I'm getting to the point where I have like between three and five points in a lot of places. So like I have lots of options, but it's just like yeah. figuring out what I want to do and when and trying to time it all out. But, Totally. Um, yeah, for here, like that's the thing is I'll probably get two deer tags and two elk tags this fall. Um, nice. For the second one, you have to pay the out of state price, but even then, it's going to be a lot cheaper than going somewhere. Yeah, out I mean, if state. you live in Idaho, you're an Idaho resident. There's so much opportunity there. Like, you don't need to look yeah. too much farther. <laughs> and I feel like I'm just playing catch up. You know, like uh, having moved here in my late 20s, it's like I, you know, I wish I just ha- could take you know 10 years off and learn the state more. Like, there's so many cool places here I want to hunt. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I know people that grew up here probably have hunted a lot of spots that I don't even know about or haven't been to. But I mean, I feel like as someone that's only been here, you know, hunting eight years or whatever, it's there's so much here to to explore and to hunt. So totally, I'm pretty about some stuff I have here. But yeah, okay. um, I'm definitely excited for Wyoming. I hunted on the Wyoming border a few years ago, and I mean that I feel like Wyoming's a cool state to hunt. Yeah, I've and, only ever hunted antelope in Wyoming. I've been, I'm kind of holding out maybe uh, on my deer points there for that good region that everybody wants to hunt. Um, yeah. And which is a few years away still, but like I said, I got options other places. Like um, I got a pretty good op- opportunities for like a Colorado third rifle. And I want to probably 
burning those before like in three or four years from now and then the wolves kill everything um (laughs) so um but how that how that all pans out i feel like there will be uh hopefully i mean it's just it's just kind of scary because you know colorado was such a big out-of-state state state for for people to come out west so Mm -hmm. Feel like it's going to be even harder for play, people to get tags at play, in places like idaho it's already gotten hard right like for people know, to get here <laughs> you know you're applying or you're you know trying to get on um, trying to get online at you know in december for the next year and, and uh, yeah it's gotten pretty crazy but i feel like that's only going to get crazier once once Colorado it's, they West. say it's over the counter but i mean it's essentially a draw it's like you go in and if you don't <laughs> yeah. you're not like one of the lucky few who's like in the like the first 100 or something like you're not yeah. going to get your first second or third choice i mean i did get an idaho deer tag this year but cool. i was still like number 3000 um so yeah i don't know which actually is pretty good <laughs> like three i've heard you can get like 50,000 yeah i was gonna say i i was yeah i was talking to some people that were telling me they were a lot higher than that when they were yeah you know, I, I was stoked with 3000 actually yeah <laughs> But uh, we get a tag. Um, where else are you going to be hunting this fall? I don't know, man. Like I said, I don't. So, you know, Alaska caribou in Alaska is hard now because most places you got to book it like three years in advance or something. Mm-hmm. So I do have like one kind of connect with the guy, the transporter that I went with last year, but I don't, and I want to hunt caribou again this year, but I don't know if I want to do like the same hunt again. Um, so I'm not sure. I'm gonna keep working some angles and see if I can figure something out to do some kind of caribou hunt in August. Also, I'd love to kill a caribou hard horned. So I'd love to maybe push it back into like that first second week of September. But still trying to figure that out. And then I could. So I'm thinking maybe do a. Um, I could get a Colorado muzzleloader elk tag, a pretty good one, which is like uh-huh. a during the rut hunt. Cool. Um, so it could do that, um, you know, could randomly draw something good. I'm just going to swing for the fences in, like, Arizona and New Mexico and stuff. Um, October, I don't know if I'll try to do rifle elk somewhere. Could do Wyoming antelope. I really, like, I don't know, man. And then, But I do know November is, like, the month of deer. So I'm either going to do Colorado third rifle or maybe apply for just a general Montana deer tag. Um mm-hmm. So I don't know, man. Uh, I got a lot of options. A lot of options. I mean, that's cool. Like, it's not like you're like I don't know what I'm gonna do. Like, you have a lot of different. I mean, you don't know, but you have a lot of uh, a lot of possibilities. So that's cool. Yeah. And like, I I would rather. I would rather. Like, there are some places where you know I have like a point three percent chance of drawing, and I'll just put in just for like if I win the lottery kind of thing, like this New Mexico thing I did this year. But I kind of like applying to stuff that I like know I'm going to draw so I can like plan, you know? So exactly. I don't get in like the premium units, but I know I'm going to get this tag. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause I feel like that's the hard part is you find out sometimes so late that you're, you know, if you find out like in late spring or something, you're like, great. Now I got it. Like my whole fall is different. Like it's totally destroyed. Yeah. What I'm gonna yeah and do. then if you're trying to hire a videographer, most of them are already booked by this oh, point. Yeah. And yep. so it's kind of different. Yeah, like I, I drew a, a good deer tag this last fall and I think I found out in July. And at that point, I couldn't really find anyone to come video it. Um, we luckily kind of piggybacked off. Uh, Glenn had a had a hunt. So we 
we had one of the our our buddies from slots media out of the uk come and film part of it but um, oh nice yeah it was it's it is hard i mean that's that's hard because usually a lot of videographers are going to be booked almost a year advance they're going to be booking at these shows right now for the fall so exactly yeah um i also i did put in for a draw alaska doll sheep unit with uh with the jeremy rusnik from i can't remember his outfit rogue expeditions so that's part of alaska uh it's the alaska range so like i think it's pretty close to anchorage yeah yeah we were in the brooks range last year on glenn's uh sheep hunt that was that was a lot were you guys out of prudo on that yeah Mm -hmm. that place is wild isn't it it's weird i was just i mean i try to describe it to people it's like a whole city of connex boxes like the whole all the hotels yeah are, it's, it's like a, a work camp place. or something it is yeah like you the the buffet meals at the hotels are like the most hearty meals you've ever seen yeah it's, it's like big oil worker dudes like working yeah. out and they're not even hotels they're dormitories for workers yeah. so yeah, it's like like two weeks at a time and then they go home for a week and yeah yeah and it's just it's all point. oil workers or like hunters waiting to go out it's a super yeah. weird place there, when I first showed up, I was like a day later than like a lot of the other people showing up, and I was stuck there for like two days at the hotel, and I couldn't get a hold of anyone. <laughs> so I was just sitting there, like I'd go eat my three hearty meals a day, and just yeah. in my hotel room, like just looking through all my gear again, just like I think I'm good. Like hopefully someone comes and picks me up. <laughs> yeah, kind <laughs> of depressing. Some random, you know, some guy come from the outfitter and was like, "I'm looking for Casey Richmond. He's supposed to come out and fil- uh, film a hunt or whatever." And <laughs> So yeah, I got flown in and uh, yeah, that that place is wild though. Like, I mean, it's so weird. I'm not gonna and go back, but it's man, it's weird. Like, it's it, definitely not like a vacation looking spot. No, it's weird. But the Brooks Range is freaking sweet, man. Like the yeah. spot we killed our bulls was like right at the foot of the Brooks, and um, well, you know, a lot of the caribou hunts up there are like just like flat. You know, yeah. it's like tundra, and it's like yeah. it's cool, but it's not really pretty to be honest. But we were no. like right up against the mountains, and it was beautiful, man. Yeah, like we saw muskox and like wolves, and moose, grizzlies. Yeah, it was great. I know. Yeah, that place is wild. I, I'd love to go back. I, the just the geography in that area is just mind blowing. When you're flying around, it's yeah. like I cannot place. I cannot believe there's places that look like this, and uh, in I don't know. It's just crazy how many animals are up there too, and. Uh, I don't know. I want to go back so bad though. I loved it up there. Me too. It felt like you were it felt like I was in like a like a vibrant, like thriving ecosystem, you know? Yes. Yeah. But it like almost doesn't look like that when you first show up and then you start realizing like, geez, like these animals are doing great here. Yeah. Like my first caribou stock was blown up by two like a white and a black wolf. I just I got to watch two white a white wolf and a black wolf like chasing like two giant caribou bulls. And it was like Oh dang! I didn't get to shoot one, but that was the coolest thing I've ever seen cool. in my life. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like everything just, is just so wild there. Like even yeah. the grizzly, they're flying over like grizzly, and they're like trying to attack the plane. Just like what is, <laughs> you know, like this. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just crazy how many how many caribou are out there, and then the sheep. Like when you find the sheep, like where they live, and you're just like, I cannot believe these animals live here. Yeah. Like it's just crazy. So and, cool. Yeah, I mean, I would any hunter, I would like recommend that any hunter out there like has to make it to the brooks range before they die like it's such mm-hmm. a good spot absolutely man 
Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, I appreciate you, dude. Uh, it was good talking to you. Where can folks go if they want to check out your stuff or Everly Stock and that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, Everly Stock is easy. It's just the the Instagram handle is probably your best bet at seeing kind of what's going on, but it's just Everly Stock. And then my Instagram is just Casey underscore Richmond. Um, cool. I don't post a ton, but yeah, it's kind of where I post what's going on as well. And yeah, I'm always Sweet. out hunting. I need to kind of be better about posting. I finally just gave up the Everly Stock Instagram posting to someone else. <laughs> oh, you did? Okay. Kind of been like almost taking a break from Instagram, but. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. Nothing wrong with that, man. All right, cool, dude. Well, um, I'll see you at SHOT Show and good talking yep. to you. Yeah, thanks. Yep, look forward to seeing you. All right, man.